When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to another episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam Burns and joining me once again, my co-host Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing? Yeah, very good, mate. Um, just come back from a, a lovely meal at the Pie Mash shop, so I can't complain. Which one did you go to? Oh, Goddard's in Greenwich. Oh yeah, I've been to that one before. Not bad, not bad yeah. actually. So it's, not, it's nice to have like, you know, it's the small things in it that the kind of getting back to normality you know obviously we just watched a race yesterday so that's another example yeah absolutely i mean and what a race it was of course so much drama so much action so after 217 days of since the checkered flag went down in abu dhabi last season the long wait for formula one's return it certainly did not disappoint did it Colt? i'll tell you what I didn't expect the race to be that um that eventful i i, I was always going to be happy that the racing was returning Austria can be a bit of a boring race, and I wasn't expecting there to be fireworks quite as much as there were yesterday. Yeah, it just seemed that the race went from strength to strength. I mean, I think the worrying thought, and and we'll go into this a bit more as the episode goes along, was that there was going to be one team that was going to dominate, and it was just a case of which of the two drivers was going to win it. And even though at certain points it did shape up that that was going to be the case, the race just delivered so many shocks and surprises twists and turns more than you could count and I've got to say if we've got more races coming to us like this one then I'm certainly looking forward to how this season pans out it certainly was a race worth the wait going on to that we'll just have a look at now discuss the race itself on the DNF1 news so obviously as you would have known by now given how the news works in Formula 1 and obviously we've had our first race at long last the Austrian Grand Prix the confirmed result was Valtteri Bottas won the race for, McLa- uh, for Mercedes, I should say, not McLaren, <laughs> starting from pole position, as he did last season in Australia in that race. And of course, a surprise result, um, not necessarily the Lando Norris podium, but one of the surprise results, Courtney, was Charles Leclerc getting second place for Ferrari. He had a really strong stint after the second safety car, didn't he? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I think... Given Ferrari's pace that they showed all weekend long, the way that that race panned out, it it didn't look like at the start that Ferrari were going to be anywhere near the podium, let alone in second position. So, and and Charles himself, uh, I don't know if you were watching the team radio after the race, he mm-hmm. quite often said how difficult that car was to drive, especially after what Sebastian Vettel was talking about, and he claimed that it was one of his best performances for the Scuderia, even in his career. And, uh, I mean, we'll talk about this a bit more later on, but it definitely showed. Yeah, I mean, he definitely uh, drove the heart out of that thing because, I mean, one race in, Vettel's already had a spin, so it's, it's clear that the car has handling issues. So the fact that he pretty much outperformed the car, and the, the, but the way that he sort of done it emphatically, given the chaos that was going on, you know, throughout the, uh, throughout the field... Credit where credit's due. That was a great drive by Charles Leclerc after that second safety car. And I think, speaking of Charles, one of the biggest asterisks I personally as a Ferrari fan have over his driving is that there's no denying that he's absolutely lightning quick at the best of times. And there are occasions where he can hold his nerve. But quite often in a weekend, you require faultless performances from your top drivers to deliver consistent results at the front end of the field. And last season, Charles himself admitted quite openly that he made costly mistakes, which more often than not costed him not just big points, but race victories. And to put in a performance like that when the car was clearly 
nowhere near as competitive as it has been, relatively speaking, over the last few years. Probably the worst it's been since 2014. And he put together a brilliant performance in a race where circumstances changed. And granted, despite the deficiencies of that Ferrari that we was laid bare to see at long last, he made the moves when he had to. And he was very aggressive in some of his overtakes. I tend to judge drivers by how they outperform a car that isn't doing too well on the grid. And we saw it regularly with Lewis Hamilton during his latter years at McLaren when McLaren were third, sometimes the fourth best car on the grid and he was still managing to get podiums and wins from the thing. So, And that, and that's that's why I look back at Lewis's career as, and I see him as one of the best of all time because of what he has done in the cars that aren't so good. So... For Charles Leclerc fans out there, seeing him get a result like that in a car, which is possibly the fourth, maybe the fifth best car at the moment, get a second place, it is impressive. Yeah, and we should emphasise that because now he's taken over the mantle from Sebastian Vettel. Even though there were at times last year we felt that this had shifted in his favour, the resources and the role of the number one title driver, if you like, at Ferrari now sits firmly in his cockpit, literally, now that's... <laughs> and um, it literally sits with him to deliver that for Ferrari. Of course, we've mentioned that there will be a lot of support for Sebastian Vettel, but Ferrari's eggs are firmly in Charles's basket now to deliver those results and be the number one driver. And he certainly put in a performance yesterday very much worthy of that sort of title in a team like Ferrari. But of course, we'll talk about them more later on in this episode, we should really move on to Valtteri Bottas, his performance in the Mercedes. Not as straightforward as it may have seen, of course, Mercedes in their new black livery, which, as I said before last week, is absolutely immaculate, absolutely gorgeous. And uh, Courtney, I've got to say, I know I was the lover of the Alvatari livery, but I've got a new favourite livery this season. I, f- I don't think you'd be denying me of that one. Oh, no, I, f- I think it looks great. I was... Um... I was fanboying over that uh, over that car on the uh, Instagram page all week, so I'm sure those who follow are fully aware of being irritated by the level of fanboydom I've been uh, showing for the car. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think what's interesting is it's the race suit, the helmet, the car, the, the full ensemble, especially in Lewis Hamilton's case, because now he's blacked out his helmet with the purple livery almost like it's a can of strongbow dark fruit of course you know it, that's what it reminds me of but um no, no endorsement here but uh nonetheless do you know what it reminds me of it's one of those if you put if you got in your regular racing film and you look at not necessarily the antagonist of the film but you've got the king the champion the one that needs to be yeah. dethroned how the livery how the race suit the helmet would look you know the the guy the one that everyone's looking out to beat. That is exactly how Lewis Hamilton is seen in Formula One. And he certainly has that level of appearance where, you know, it's almost um, intimidating, I suppose, for some drivers. Not in a bad way, but, like, this is the level you have to reach to. And he certainly looks the part. And, you know, it's funny you should touch on that. I I, want to, you know, make a a brief reference to the politics in Formula One. You you know, you, you recently touched on the fact that Lewis is very much seen as the man to be, and Mercedes are very much seen as the team to be. You know, they've dominated for so long now. And the level of protests and the, and the level of assessment of everything that Mercedes and Lewis do by other teams, given that there were, what, two, maybe three protests against Mercedes and Lewis over the weekend? Yeah. It's really starting to show how much these people, or shall I say teams really do fear this Lewis Hamilton slash Mercedes combination because the stats show they are truly, they are, they're all-time greats now and everyone's out to get them, everyone's after them. Well, they're on the verge of history. I mean, we talked about uh, six consecutive drivers' championships in a row, five for Hamilton, one for Rosberg, of course, back in 2016. And let's not forget, they've now equaled Ferrari's dominance in 99 to 2004 with six consecutive constructors championships to their name and this season they could very well break that dominance now i don't know about you again adam but before the safety car incidents 
I was watching the race and how Mercedes pulled away from the rest of the pack, and it and it really did remind me of the first few years of the um, V6 Turbo Hybrid era, 2014 through to 2016, where apart from races like Austria, where there are incidents, Mercedes could easily dominate a race and even control their power modes because they knew they were that far ahead. Yeah, so you know you're absolutely right in that regard, and I think it's worth pointing out what we were talking about earlier with the level of protest that Mercedes, in particular Lewis Hamilton as well, has received this weekend. I mean, let's forget about the yellow flag incident and obviously the incident with Albon. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But obviously we know Red Bull warned Mercedes that if they did use the uh, DAS or DAS system, and for those of you that don't know what the DAS system is, I do recommend checking out our podcast for the first test series where I do go into that in some detail. But Red Bull did say to Mercedes they were going to protest this system, this little innovation that they've introduced if Mercedes planned on using it, which of course we know they did. Red Bull protested it and the FIA deemed it legal in terms of how it worked with the steering and also how it worked with the suspension. Now, I don't think the steering issue was something that came under scrutiny. It was more about how it worked with the suspension. And long story short, FIA regulations do not allow active suspension or basically when suspension changes um influenced by the driver rather than the actual track itself so it doesn't really encourage moving parts like that but of course it was deemed legal and quite interestingly we noted in practice christian horner quite openly said to sky sports that they had a system of their own that they were waiting to use similar to what mercedes have done now we don't know obviously if the benefits of red bull system would help them in the way that Mercedes' system helped theirs. Of course, we don't even fully understand how DAS helps Mercedes. We have a rough idea, but probably there's more to it than meets the eye. And I think what I think we should mention is that with that in mind, with the level of protest Red Bull put in, it does seem to be motivated more by the fact that they were probably going to accept the fact that Mercedes were going to be deemed legal, but it was more of confirmation rather than a protest that they can use their own system. Now, I think... We should put this point forward, Corny. I think a lot of fans that watch Formula 1 over the years that we've seen when Ferrari have dominated or Red Bull have dominated or McLaren or Mercedes have dominated, the one thing that's always been constant is protest against those teams when they bring new innovations. And it's not necessarily about they've put that on their car and we don't think it's legal. It's more along the lines of we want to develop a system similar to that. We know roughly how it works, but we need to know it's legal so that we can do that. Now, what's key, what we mentioned in the testing episode was that this DAS system for teams that would want to build their own system may take as long as six months. That was something Matty Benotto mentioned about Ferrari potentially developing a DAS system. And because the rules back then, as we knew it before the COVID situation, they were only going to be fixed for a year before the new 2021 cars were going to be put in place so Mm -hmm. feasibility wise it would have made no sense to develop these systems now we fast forward and for the first race of the season that we've just had the rules will be in place for another year so for those teams that originally looked at DAS and thought no it's not going to be worth our time because it'll be on the car for six months now those systems will be on the car's let's assume it's, they've spent the time in lockdown building one, they'll be able to have those on their cars for effectively two seasons now. So it does change the outlook on whether or not DAS is a good thing. And, and this is assuming it has a massive tangible benefit to their yeah, performance. we still don't know yet, do we? Exactly. We still don't know. Exactly. I mean, let's be honest, you can't just stick a, a system or anything on one car, put it on something else and expect it to go faster. Not of course right. not. Yeah, in, in Red Bull's case, long story short, I think... Yes, the level of scrutiny was quite intense on Mercedes this weekend, but I do feel it was more for confirmation purposes rather than to have a little fit and say, no, Mercedes can't have this, it's unfair. Um, it might appear that way in testing, but I feel like it, it's more because there's an actual use that we can gotten out of DAS uh, for the time frame. It's more for confirmation purposes. And I think that leads us nicely to the actual race. We were talking about Valtteri Bottas earlier, and I think it's worth talking about him again, Courtney. As we said, he had a difficult time managing the car in terms of the race. Quite often we saw moments where the Mercedes, both drivers, were told to be mindful of their gearboxes and staying off the kerbs. Now, yeah, right. from what I understand, the nature of the problem was was that 
there has been an issue, a long-going issue, with the reliability improvements that Mercedes have had with their engine. However, this has not really extended to their gearbox, and apparently, Mercedes have had issues with the electronics and the wiring for the gearbox. Now, because of this, there may have been a potential problem where the rumbling and the vibrations generated yeah. from those yeah. very, very unorthodox curbing that Austria is quite infamous for. There were quite a lot of cars that were having issues. Be yes. it different issues, but they were all seemed to be tying into the same, you know, cause, which were the curbs. Because I, rec- I, I reckon that's what happened to Verstappen's car, for example. Quite possibly, um, although I haven't got it confirmed what was up with his car yet. But um, one thing I do know was this was one of the issues last Stroll had. And this is kind of what motivated Mercedes to adopt a more cautious approach to their driving. Uh, it, it wasn't one of those subliminal messages that they were telling to their drivers basically coded to slow down, manage the pace, don't battle each other, because we're all sitting there wanting the Mercedes guys to fight each other, because let's be honest, that was where the race was going to be won and lost. Yeah. And it, it never really happened. Lewis always got close to Bottas, but never really enough to really make a move. But that aside, I mean, hat off to Valtteri Bottas, Again, I know it's very easy tempting to say, oh, this is like Valtteri Bottas 3.0. It's like a brand new Bottas. He's finally going to take this championship to Lewis Hamilton and really, really fight him. And more importantly, defend his seat. Because let's be honest, Courtney, that is a driver that is one of the drivers on the grid that will probably not have their seat confirmed for next season until probably not until the near the end of it. So that's a man under pressure. Well, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious that both Sebastian Vettel and George Russell are waiting for that seat to be available. Hmm. No, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, the Vettel option may seem less and less likely in recent weeks. And personally, I think George Russell should be the man to go into that car no, to replace right. Bottas, personally. Or Hamilton, we don't know. Hamilton's contract, although we both feel that Conrad Hamilton, sorry, I should say Hamilton, get that right, is more likely to stay on at Mercedes there does seem to be a growing belief that perhaps Valtteri Bottas's time at Mercedes is coming to an end, assuming that he doesn't put together more performances like he did uh, this weekend. I mean, we saw the exact same thing happen in Australia. We saw a man that dominated the race. We saw a man that really took it to his teammate, really was almost defiant with the famous message to his team for those that are concerned, fuck you. Um Language. <laughs> <laughs> well, money just repeating what Valtteri said, children. Um, probably going to be the only one on this episode, but nonetheless, it kind of, uh, it kind of filtered out. It faded away that championship challenge very, very quickly. So, as impressive as Valtteri was, and a lot of things in his life have changed, probably for the better. Obviously, last year he was battling a difficult divorce. Um, obviously he's in a new relationship now he's a lot more active on social media which is a good thing for him he seems like a very happy man and it's translating into his driving but I'm going to hold out on judgement yet I'm going to wait and see how this goes but in a shortened season finishing yeah yeah, finishing a lot further ahead of his teammate I mean Lewis Hamilton got fourth in that race a 14 point margin because of course uh, sorry 13 point I should say that could be a huge gap in a very shortened season for Valtteri Bottas. So the perfect start for him, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you said what I wanted to say. Um, with, with the fact that the season's short, I would, well, we still don't know how many races uh, we're going to have. But they're, they're saying, what, 15 to 18 potentially? Well, we have eight confirmed at the moment. But of course, mm. we'll be expecting more news in the coming days. I feel like... There are other races in the pipeline ready to be announced. I think we're just in a trial tribulation period where we're waiting to see how the drivers and teams manage this COVID situation to see if they can mitigate the number of cases and the level of infection amongst the F1 community that goes to these circuits, limited as it may be. At the moment, I think they had 4,000 tests in the first round and got no positive cases. So it's a perfect start. And of course, absolutely, yeah. from what we've seen of how they've handled this situation. It seems like they're doing all the right things and are taking all the necessary precautions. So hopefully that will continue and we should have more races announced very, very soon. But obviously the point stands that 
a 13-point gap in the championship after one race, it's a very good start for Bottas. And Lewis, it was far from perfect from Lewis this weekend. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah, it's had, it's had, it's had, it was a bit of a um, a bit of a clumsy weekend, I'd say, for his standards. But there was a there were a lot of distractions, and I'm, I'm not referring to the um, to the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, there were it had I'd say there were two two three yeah two maybe three protests against him in one weekend and it's a well-known thing in Formula 1 that it's all about flow and rhythm for you to have a good race weekend and you like at the end of the day as great as he is he's only human at the end of the day and if you keep on having these distractions it can affect your flow in a race weekend No and you're absolutely right and I think Christian Horner was as blunt as to say that Lewis needs to think about his driving in some regards Uh, I don't think it was a malicious dig at him but it was definitely motivated by the incident he had with Alex Albon towards the end of the race and of course for those who didn't see it after a safety car period Alex Albon was on the softer tyres Lewis and Valtteri were on harder tyres that were much older and Albon went for a move on the outside of turn four it looked like he was going to make it but then Lewis's car understeered out of turn four and into Alex Albon Courtney, what what would you make of that five second time penalty that he got? Do you think that was fair, or do you think that was a little bit harsh on Lewis? I think it was a fair penalty. I've, I like. I think the stewards went straight down the middle with it. To be honest, I imagine that Red Bull and Albon wanted a, a bigger penalty, but you know, again, you said it yourself. He he understeered out the corner, so. He was wrong in the sense where he didn't give Albon enough space initially, but the actual contact itself I would consider to be a racing incident. So he got, I reckon he got penalised for not giving Albon enough space initially. So that's why I feel that the penalty in the end is, it could have been a lot more damaging for Lewis in the end, but I think a five-second penalty was fair. Yeah, I mean, looking back, back at it, there's a lot of different interpretations that can be made from that incident. I think one thing we can both agree on, that Lewis hitting Albon was not intentional. We know no. Lewis was not trying to deliberately squeeze Albon too far. He looked like he was trying to give him enough room. And I think the key point was the understeer. A lot of people saying Lewis should have turned in harder. Well, Lewis's hand motions did not vary throughout that corner at all. He had the full lock applied. And yes, granted, he perhaps he could have lifted off the throttle, a little bit more he certainly couldn't have braked because if he did that he would have just skidded and locked his brakes and just took Albon off completely with himself to follow I think what it comes down to are two things one obviously the collision that caused Albon to go into the gravel and completely wrecked his race but also the fact that it I mean let's think of it this way as a watching football as well you see penalty incidents where the striker will make a movement that really forces the defender into a position where they can't go anywhere and they end up catching the striker inadvertently. There's nothing they can do and they'll draw a foul to win a penalty. Yes, it's the the Formula 1 balance or um, it's the Formula 1 version of catching a defender off balance. Exactly. Whilst we both agree that Lewis did not intend to hit Albon, the collision, while some may deem it to be a racing incident in some regards, the fact that Lewis was kind of put in a position where there was nowhere else he could go, but nonetheless probably was at fault in that position. If you're going to attribute some level of blame, it kind of drew that penalty towards him because Albon had ended up going off in a position where he had the right of way at that moment where impact had happened. Which is um, some doing going around the outside of turn four. I'd not seen really many overtakes happen throughout the weekend, including F2 and F3 races, a lot of them ending in tears. And unfortunately for Alex Albon, who so desperately needs to get a podium for himself, wants one, he's been so close on two occasions, only to be hit by Lewis on both occasions. Amazingly, of course, this time, though, Lewis, not really much he could have done about that. But but that's how it goes. But I'm sure Alex will get opportunities. You have to look from, you know, from the Alex Albon perspective. Don't you think that was a bit risky, given the circumstances? It was risky, but I think given the confidence he would have had on those softer tyres, and bear in mind, they would have been fresh soft tyres with only about 13, 14 laps to do in the race. They could really push them. Clearly had the pace in that red ball throughout the race to really think he could go after Lewis and probably felt that 
he had to do it sooner rather than later because he didn't want Bottas to... Exactly. I think if he was just fighting for second, he might have been a bit more patient um, rather than trying to go after him and Valtteri because that would have seemed inevitable if he'd have got the move done. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities for this. I'll be surprised if Alex Albon does not end up on the podium this season. He's got the car, relatively speaking, compared to everyone else. He's got the second best car on the grid. He's a very talented young driver. And I know that he'll be back for more opportunities. Hopefully, he can get one done very, very soon. Of course, next week in Austria again. So he may get that opportunity sooner than he thinks. But uh, speaking of podiums, of course, before we break for the halfway mark, we've got to talk about Lando Norris. The absolute hero legend performance that Lando Norris has put in to get his first podium of his career. And of course... McLaren, that's a back-to-back, or almost back-to-back podiums, with the exception of Abu Dhabi. But uh, yeah, two podiums in three races for McLaren. That's uh... yeah, it. May be it may be too soon to say that they're back, but it's certainly good to see them sort of in and around the podium places. It's been way too long for a team of that size to, you know, be so far away from the podium as they have been recently. Yeah, and of course, Lando himself quite jokingly saying, in the last three months, I've gone from a Twitch streamer to uh, get the third youngest driver on an F1 podium. <laughs> of course, behind Lance Stroll and Max Verstappen, of course, that were younger than him when they achieved their first. But yeah, I mean, what a performance from Lando Norris. And it was a good race drive. I mean, qualifying, it was excellent. He qualified fourth, which of course become third when Lewis got that penalty uh, for speeding under yellow flags in qualifying. And he drove a very solid race. He battled hard with... Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez and his teammate Carlos Sainz for much of that race and I think there was a moment in that race where I worried for Lando where he went for a move on Sergio Perez early on and it kind of was a bit risky it didn't really need to do it and unsettled him which really made the move on him from Charles Leclerc a lot easier and it kind of put him into his teammates grasp but he recovered from that and he made the move on Perez towards the end and he sent it into absolute overdrive on the final lap, which if you haven't seen that final lap, guys, I definitely recommend I think, it. Yeah, definitely give it a watch. To overhaul say, that gap, yeah. I must say with Lando Norris, um, as you know, Adam, I've been a big fan of his since his F2 days. Yes. Now, there's no doubt in the talent that he has and I regularly watch, you know, the highlights of his streams on, on YouTube. You know, he's, he's, he's been one of the people that have, you know, helped us get through lockdown with, you know, the entertainment value that he's given us. I think he has the hallmarks to be a future a, a future superstar, particularly in the UK. The one thing I had for Lando, there's no doubt in that, you know, the ability that the lad has. But I always thought, you know, as, as as great as it is that he has a laugh and everything and he's very popular in the grid, does he have that, that grit to be competitive? Because sometimes when I see drivers that are very popular in the grid, I'm sometimes led to believe, is that because the other drivers in the grid don't fear them? Do you see what I mean? The drivers, if you if you know, if you have a look, you know, Lewis isn't isn't very generally hasn't been very popular. Sebastian Vettel wasn't during his Red Bull days. There's usually a bit of a correlation between, you know, a lack of popularity and, you know, being a successful driver. But, and that was my fear for him last season. You know, he had he had some near misses, didn't he? You know, he was close to getting some fourth and fifth place, you know, fifth place finishes if it wasn't for um, mechanical issues. But there's always my fear, you know, he's constantly getting beaten by his teammate. But, Coming into this season, yeah, he's he's almost like a new driver. He was he's been consistently quick all weekend. He, you know, he was he was consistently beating his own teammate, and, and that's always the hallmark, isn't it, when you're a Formula One driver? And who knows? Maybe the announcement that Signs is leaving is you know giving him the the push that he needs to actually make a statement. You know, almost create his own identity as a driver in the sport. You know, particularly with a new teammate coming in next season, he might want to make a statement and say, "Hey, when 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 Danny Ricciardo comes in, don't think he's going to automatically be a number one driver." He, I already sensed that Lando started to build that team around him. I know it's only been one race in, but you can sense it by how much the you know how much by the live footage, how much they appreciate him. You can tell he's well loved within the team. You know, whether it be 
you know, the race directors or, you know, you, you see it on the streams, even if it's the guys loading up the, the equipment, he's well loved throughout the team. Well, he's very much a homegrown product of McLaren. Of course, yeah. he's been signed up to that program for many, many years now. And they're finally starting to see the benefits of the investment that they've put into Lando Norris. And of course, you're absolutely yeah. right to mention that with Carlos Sainz moving on, Daniel Ricciardo coming in, the expectation for some people would be for Daniel Ricciardo to step in and really use his experience and his speed that perhaps Renault have not really been able to provide him the tools to deliver on to really take over that team where Carlos has left off. Now, of course, we should stress that whilst Carlos is wearing that McLaren shirt until he moves on to Ferrari next season, he's going to be the absolute utmost professional in his performances. He's not going to be letting off the throttle. Yeah. So Lando's not going to have an easy ride this season. But you're absolutely right. He's got to put in performances where he can really capitalise on a lot of pace in qualifying that he's shown especially last season. Of course, let's not forget, he actually beat Carlos Sainz in a head-to-head in qualifying, which was impressive enough. So he's got the speed, but he just has to deliver it on the Sunday. Hopefully, he will have better reliability. The McLaren did seem a lot better, and uh, he managed it quite well, and obviously was massively rewarded for his pace and uh, his maturity that he showed. So, yeah, a much improved Lando Norris. I think it's fair to say last season, perhaps he was a little disarming by his comic antics or the way he carried himself. Now, of course, that's not us suggesting that he needs to mature, but you're right. It sometimes may come across as a little bit disarming and hopefully he can put in more performances like that. But it was a brilliant start for him this season and hopefully that's the first of many podiums. So I think I'm just checking the time now, guys, and I think it's probably a good opportunity to go to the halfway point. A little bit different for the halfway point this episode, guys. If you are watching on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel... We've got a little bit of a sneak preview of something that we've got coming up very, very soon. Might be out this weekend or next weekend, but hopefully soon. But just have a little look for the next couple of minutes while we're on the break. And uh, we'll see you on the other side of the DNF1 F1 podcast for part two. So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Now, of course, just before the break, we mentioned that we were going to show you a preview of what we've got coming up for you very, very soon. So let us know in the comment section what you thought and if you're excited for that. We certainly are, and we're hoping it's going to be very, very good. And uh, yeah, it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's going to be an F1 beginner's guide for newer fans of the sport that obviously have been seeing a lot of the virtual racing, a lot of stuff on F1 driver Twitch streams, wanting to get into F1, but almost feeling a little intimidated in regards to understanding the rules and understanding what's required in order to enjoy, enjoy a weekend especially one like we've just seen. So hopefully that helps you guys a little bit. And of course, if when it does go live and you enjoy, if you enjoy it, let us know. We'll certainly be making more videos like that in the future. Now, coming back to obviously the weekend at hand, there were some plenty of incidents actually and controversy going on before Will was even turned this weekend, most notably Sebastian Vettel's future. Now, from what we were led to understand is that an agreement between Vettel and Ferrari had taken place on the understanding that they could not come to an agreement over him staying at the team for beyond his current contract, which expires at the end of the season. But after an interesting interview with Sebastian Vettel after free practice, Vettel basically went out and said that he was never offered a contract, um, nothing as much as a piece of paper was sent to his house to negotiate with his agent or the team at all. The only thing he got was a call from Mattia Bonotto and Ferrari management to basically say that we thank you for your service to the team, but we will no longer require your services beyond your current contract. And uh, that was it. And, uh, That's that... no way to treat a four-time world champion, is it? No, and, and this was a big surprise to see this. I mean, as a Ferrari fan as well, I was massively shocked because... I'd kind of accepted, as many people did, that it's made sense for both parties that this was not going to work beyond this season. Yeah. Uh, it made perfect sense. But all of a sudden, Matti Bonotto was questioned on this following Vettel's comments, and he pretty much confirmed it. There was no denial. He said that they'd spoken to a few other drivers, um, including Carlos Sainz, who they eventually signed, as early as December last season, before the winter break. And, of course, the decision was made to have Carlos Sainz in the team, and then they informed Sebastian that he was no longer required. So, what I find really strange and sour about all of this is, why, if they're going to do that, and by the way, we should stress, they're more than entitled to do what they did with Vettel in terms of 
saying they don't want to keep him beyond this season and they want to bring someone else in, that's perfectly their choice and they're absolutely entitled to go that way. But why, if you're going to do that, go to all the bother in saying that Vettel was your number one choice and he would be the guy that you'd want to be driving your car next season if you never really wanted him there in the first place and signed signs in the manner that they did because... This was confirmed by Zach Brown. They basically said that Ferrari had been in talks with Carlos as early as December. And Mattia himself had mentioned, yes, we've spoken to a few drivers. We always get drivers approaching us about availability of one of our cars for future seasons. And this is where they believe the discussions with Carlos Sainz had began. But again, I draw back to my early question. If that's what your plan is, why go to all the trouble in press releases and saying that Sebastian was your number one choice to the point where the driver was convinced that that was the case only to just pull the rug from underneath him and say sorry Seb uh, thanks for the memories but we no longer need you like I mean that's not that's not good form is it from Ferrari I must say that was quite poor from their part I mean you can you can look at this situation and Look at the car, the A spec car, shall we say, that they've developed this season. And I'm, I'm very right to ask this question: What on earth have Ferrari been doing since the end of the season? It, it, it seems, it seems. If I was a Ferrari fan, I'd be massively frustrated right now. They've messed around with their arguably first driver. Uh, this is just my opinion. I don't. I think they've treated them poorly. And it just seems like they went in the, the completely wrong direction with the development of their car. If I was a Ferrari fan, I'd be asking some serious questions as to what's going on at the moment. Yeah, and I think as a Ferrari fan myself, I've mentioned this a few times, we, we started this podcast with the intention of being impartial. That completely went out the window. But <laughs> I think you're absolutely right to point that out. I think, and this is what the worrying stat is in Formula One for Ferrari this season as well. Now, we took the pole position time from last season. Charles Leclerc did 1 minute 3.0. Bottas's mm-hmm. time this season was only half a tenth faster than that. So yeah. that's something. But what's worrying is that Charles Leclerc's Q3 time this season, which was only good enough for seventh, was nine tenths of a second slower than it was last year. Now, of course, one of the caveats we should point out is that Ferrari were running... The engine that they ran last year, which was under massive scrutiny, and the investigation hadn't concluded that Ferrari had done any wrongdoing. Of course, we know that that still wasn't the case this season because the investigation just, they agreed that it would end under certain circumstances. And of course, you anyone could see that Ferrari's performance in that regard was affected. But to lose nine tenths of a second on a car that's a year younger it almost seemed like it would make more sense under the rules that were relaxed as they were to run last year's car and be faster. Yeah. Because that's what the times were implying. Of course, we should stress that the Ferrari long run pace, particularly on the harder tyres, was rather good until Lando Norris did the fastest lap of the race. Charles Leclerc was very quick on the medium tyres towards the end. So that's something. But it's got to be said, Courtney... You're absolutely right. What on earth have Ferrari been doing over winter testing? Now, we should stress again that Ferrari were very much aware after pre-season testing that there were flaws with that car. And they've had, the, if you like, the luxury of not having any races up until last weekend to be exposed on this. So they could, when the teams were allowed to go back, returning from lockdown, to develop these new aero parts that were rumoured to go on at Hungary. In some cases, they may come onto the car in Austria next weekend. And they could be worth, according to Matti Bonotto, as much as three tenths of a second in the corners where he felt they were struggling. But if you take that away, that's still six, seven tenths that they're off the pace. Yeah. And they're losing all of that, you could argue, in a straight line. I mean, we looked at the lap-to-lap comparison between Bottas and Leclerc in qualifying, and you could see that Ferrari was so much slower on the straights. It was incredible. I'd never seen anything like it. And I suppose that translates because the Alfa Romeos and the Husses, granted aero-wise not the best cars anyway, but they were well down in the speed traps, just like the Ferraris were. So very much worrying times considering the fact that engine development this season, after the first race, is now frozen. So they won't be able to improve their engine. The only thing that they can really do 
is improve other areas of the gearbox perhaps or reliability issues but most importantly and this is an area Matter Binotto mentioned is to improve the drag coefficient because that apparently this Ferrari is very very draggy which in a in a nutshell is causing the car to slow down in the straights now they can try and get around this by making that car the best aerodynamic car in the field that that will take some doing already in a way that Red Bull used to be slow in the speed traps but fast in the corners but We've, this isn't 2012 now. This isn't, you know, that that era is gone in Formula 1. So even if Ferrari were to have the fastest car in the corners, they'd still be as much as half a second down on a Mercedes, which we already agree is the class of the field. So very much a worrying situation at Ferrari at the moment. What I will, what I will say, in, in terms of their performance, their season hangs on the performance of this spec car that they're talking about bringing to Hungary. The season hinges on that upgrade. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that one. And and this is why it was to our amazement that Charles Leclerc managed to get second place in the yeah. race that you'd think this time last season Charles Leclerc came second in Austria in that dramatic last lap showdown with Max Verstappen. And that was a disappointment. And fast forward 12 months to it being like a miracle. I mean, it's fair to say we don't expect Ferrari to repeat that this weekend, although... If Charles puts in a similar performance, we never know. But uh, yeah, worrying times of Ferrari at the moment. It seems to be everything that they do raises more questions than answers. It's almost as if they're going one step forward and taking four or five steps backwards. Well, going, going back to the Vettel point, you know, that, that's why I raised this because I feel that, you know, the, the two issues link to one big problem at Ferrari. Now, as a Mercedes fan, okay and particularly Lewis Hamilton fan, I'm looking at the championship thinking, okay, who are going to be the main challengers? I see, if Bottas continues, Bottas will be a threat, but I see Red Bull and Max Verstappen being the main threat. Mainly because it seems that Red Bull have got a better car than Ferrari, obviously, but also because Max Verstappen is the main man. Now, given the way that Vettel has perceived to have been treated, he will be looking after primarily himself there's no doubt he'll be professional but um, I just get the impression if that if that Ferrari does catch up and comes the second best car or is challenging Mercedes regularly I do get the feeling that Vettel and Leclerc are going to be taking a lot of points off each other throughout the season quite possibly and I think we should stress that Sebastian Vettel for all intents and purposes is a very very professional racing driver he's yeah, one of he the is. gentlemen of the sport um, yeah despite the fact that he's quite often mocked for his constant spins. And I think, once again, Sebastian in a spin, it's almost like a weekly event. You're expecting it to happen in every race. And let's be honest, we don't have to analyse that incident too much, do we, Courtney? I mean, it was a bone-dead move. We could see he was trying to be opportunistic with Leclerc and Sainz fighting amongst each other, which almost appeared initially to open the door. But, I mean, let's be honest, there's late. And then there's Sebastian Vettel clipping your rear tyre late and spinning at turn three. I mean, the car was already spinning before it even hit signs. Yeah, it was almost like he just like, well, I know how this ends. I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'm hoping that Sebastian, regardless of how the car performs, is able to perform like he did before. And there's no pressure on him now. I mean, regardless, wherever his future may lie, whether it's at... Mercedes or maybe Aston Martin or Renault as an outside chance and of course we'll talk about Renault in a moment he's got literally no pressure on him in terms of deliver for Ferrari of course he said in interviews that he will play the team game if instructed but he is very much a man on his own in that Ferrari team and that can become a very isolated place at the best of times so I think for Sebastian I just really hope he can draw on his experience his success and a lot of it that he's had to really just, for once, drive for himself and maybe recapture that brilliance, that form that he showed in glimpses last season. I mean, Singapore last year was a brilliant performance from him. I'm hoping to see more of that from him. Will we see that from him, though? I don't know. The car has certainly got to be a lot better, but it's going to be a very difficult season for Ferrari. 
if they're not able to get their act together. I mean, I hope that by logically speaking, the fact that their car is so bad this year implies that perhaps they put all of their efforts into the 2021 car, which of course we won't see till 2022 because development has been frozen on that car for another year. So a lot of questions for Ferrari to answer. And I'm hoping that the worst of the car this year is what we're seeing right now and that they will improve in weeks to come. I'm hoping this upgrade will be better than we originally think it will be, but we'll have to wait and see on that. But the the, the problem is, given the nature of the sport, Red Bull and Mercedes aren't going to be slowing down anytime soon. No, and uh, it, I think it's worth pointing out that they a lot of teams did bring a lot of upgrades. So they were very, yeah. very different cars, with the exception, arguably, of Ferrari, probably being the only team that ran anything like a testing spec car at this race and it and it certainly showed. I mean, they were probably the fifth fastest car on raw pace. Yeah. Behind yeah. the racing point McLaren, Red Bull and the Mercedes. And they were very much just about keeping Renault behind them as well. So a lot of questions for Ferrari to answer in that second part. And for Sebastian Vettel as well. Very controversial. Let us know what you think of course guys in the comments if you think Vettel's been hard done by Ferrari or if you think Ferrari will recover their season or Will they be able to get back ahead of Racing Point and McLaren? Or what will they do this weekend? So many questions for them. What what a depressing question to ask as a Ferrari fan. Are they going to be ahead of the midfield teams? Well, uh, we talked about this in testing. We talked about it in testing, the possibility of Racing Point in particular getting on a podium and finishing ahead of Ferrari. And it was almost taken as if like, oh, could you imagine how funny that would be? rather than actually being a serious possibility. And I think I tweeted out over the weekend that, judging by the pace we saw in practice, the only car faster than last year's Mercedes, as a homage to the RP20 slash W10 that Racing Point are running, was this year's Mercedes. But, of course, Red Bull showed their hand, showed their pace, and we'll just have to hope for Max Verstappen's case that he gets a bit more luck in terms of liability, which has been... His Achilles heel at Red Bull in recent years has been the reliability, but this time not necessarily on the engine side, so that's a good thing. Yeah, we've been, in, in terms of Ferrari, I mean, team on that side, Adam, as you know, we've, we've, I've said it a million times on this podcast, um, Ferrari are a national institution, and if things don't go well, you have instant pressure. Yeah, and in the worst degree as well, a lot of pressure on... Ferrari's shoulders, a lot of pressure on Matteo Binotto's shoulders. Yeah. It, it just seems like he's starting to unravel and some of his press conferences almost starting to see trends of Aviva Bene when he was under big pressure. Not as, I mean, he still is very welcoming and friendly, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's definitely been a breath of fresh air at Ferrari. But when pressure mounts, you start to see a little bit more defiance and a little bit more assertiveness in the body language and the way they carry themselves in interviews. And I just hope that Ferrari can find well not incremental substantial improvements in order to catch up to the rest of the field but given how poor that car was I think they would have been delighted to get a second place after the first Grand Prix of the season absolutely yeah so um, moving from Ferrari to another team that's obviously had a bit of a mixed fortunes this season a poor start by their accounts is Renault and of course Daniel Ricciardo had that problem Esteban Ocon his first race back in a long time and Ocon didn't do a bad job, but definitely will be expecting more of him as races to come. But he's a driver, Courtney, that really could have done without this extended break to COVID. I mean, he'd been out of the sport for well yeah. over a year. He wanted to get back into that Renault. Obviously, testing performance showed he was on par with Daniel Ricciardo for a lot of the time. So he certainly hadn't lost the speed. But having been away from the sport because of that extended break and just to jump back in, it's worth pointing out that he more than most probably needed a good weekend, a solid amount of driving. Uh, Nicola Latifi as well in that regard, in fairness for Williams. Absolutely, but... yeah. True. So what did you make I of... Gonna I was going to say, what did you make of Renault's weekend? I mean, I would say that the results are pretty much what I expected from Renault. I mean, Renault, you know, going from the engine supplier to the, you know, your domineer and Red Bull have been have been arguably the worst engine supplier in the V6 Turbo era, and it just seems that they've always been sort of struggling, you know, towards the back end of the midfield. 
you know, you've got to remember the next season, they're not going to have any customer engine uh, engine supplies. It just, see, they, they, Renault need something to rejuvenate them because their reputation in F1 at the moment is only going downhill. So they need to make a big statement. They need to, I don't know, bring in a high, high profile driver, bring some new investment, bring some new brains, but they need, they definitely need to, um, revamp as a brand in Formula 1 and I think it's good that you mentioned the uh, big name that you, that we were talking about before this podcast now of course these are only rumours but according to Spanish media and uh, take that with a pinch of salt considering where the source is that Fernando Alonso may be announced as a Renault driver to partner Esteban Ocon for 2021 perhaps at some point this week maybe maybe as early as Wednesday again these are very strong rumours in regards to how much people want them to be true. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd love to see Fernando back. And we talked about this earlier in the season. Would Fernando coming back to Renault be good for Formula 1? And yeah, it would help the show. But I just feel that there are other drivers that Renault should really be looking to try and get back next season mm. rather than if Fernando. I, would, I mean, Lundgaard in F2. Or Guan Yu Zhou in F2. Two drivers that, I think they should true. be looking at. And especially Guan Yu Zhou, of course, he didn't have the best of weekends in the F2 race in Austria. But his pace was there to see. He was excellent mm. in qualifying. He just didn't get the rub of the green in the race. But uh, he's the guy that I think Renault should be looking for to next season. Rather than trying to bring back Fernando Alonso. Who, let's be honest, is going to come with a hefty price tag in terms of his salary. Despite being a free agent and will demand absolute 100% support and ownership of that team, despite the fact that they've got Esteban Ocon there, a young French driver who's looking to find his wings in Formula 1. It's just, it's got a lot more risks attributed to it, rather than the payout. Another risk worth highlighting is that Fernando gets very easily frustrated when things aren't going well performance-wise, and he's very quick to... um, What's the best way of describing it? Throwing toys um, out the pram? Yeah, and, and like, you know, he voices it for the world to hear. You know, we saw it in McLaren. He, I don't want to d- directly blame him, but the moment that, you know, I mentioned about Renault needing to, um, you know, rejuvenate and go again, it, say, it seems that after Fernando left McLaren and this, you know, had a new culture with Zach Brown and with, Lando and um, Carlos Sainz, it just seemed that the energy changed and since then they've had some positive momentum and, you know, they're in a, they are now a, an upper midfield team. You've got to sometimes question the influence that Fanat, as, as talented as he is, and, you know, we've had conversations in the past where I thought that two world championships aren't enough for a man of his um, stature. He does seem to cause problems if things aren't going well within a team. Yeah, I mean, there's no denying his pace and the fact that if he came back to Formula 1, his pace would be there. I mean, we've seen in the off-season from the virtual Grand Prix, the series the race did with Jensen Button as well, how good he was there. And he picked that up very quickly. So we know Fernando's pace is definitely undeniable, even at his age. I mean, it seems like Formula 1 drivers are just going on and on. They're almost evergreen these days. Some drivers like Fernando and Kimi, drivers in their 40s now, but still driving almost as well as they've ever done. But Fernando does come with that risk in terms of how his conduct is handled. And I think it's probably fair to say that over the years as a Formula 1 driver, despite his speed being a great asset, his conduct and decision-making in terms of his career moves has always been probably to his detriment. If you want to compare him to someone like Lewis Hamilton, who's gone completely the opposite trajectory with a driver that's got as much raw talent and pace as anybody we've ever seen. So it's quite an interesting one at Renault. But again, guys, let us know in the comment section who you think is going to be at Renault with Ocon next season, who you think is going to replace Ricardo. Will it be Alonso? Will it not? Do you want Alonso to go back to Renault? Of course, we've mentioned names already like Guan Yu Zhou and Christian Lungard. Two very good F2 drivers that I think deserve an opportunity in the main seat, particularly Guan Yu Zhou. So let us know, guys, who you think as well. So I think for the last five minutes of this episode, Corny, of course, we're coming up to an hour now almost. I think it's worth talking about the race this weekend. Of course, it's race week once again. So uh, we've been waiting so long for an F1 race. And now we've got, well, the second part of this triple header. Um, We're going back to Austria. So... Given that we've already raced there and the circumstances for the race are going to be very, very similar this weekend to how they were last weekend, 
how will the order in our minds be affected? Do we expect a change to fortunes, perhaps for Red Bull? Do we expect Max Verstappen to get at the Mercedes this time? Because he wasn't really given a fair shot with that alternate strategy not really working considering he had that issue with his car that took him out of the race. Or do we expect Mercedes to at least right the wrongs in terms of Hamilton's poor fortune this weekend and perhaps a return to form for them and perhaps the second Bottas win in a row? What do we think? I'm expecting to see a rejuvenated Lewis Hamilton this weekend. You know, if, if you look back through his career, whenever he's had a bad weekend, he, he comes back all guns blazing and, he, and he, make, he, he tends to make statements. So it's early on in the season, but, you know, this, this race could already be important for the championship going forward. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Of course, as we mentioned already, the gap is 13 points after one race which will be music to Bottas, this is. And he really needs to keep that in mind when he's racing, of course. He's very quick in Austria. He's led the most laps in the last few years. He's been arguably the most successful driver in the last five years at the circuit. Amazing to say that the last four occasions they've been there, including this last one, Lewis Hamilton has not made it onto the podium. Amazing. It's a bit of a bogey track for him. It has been. So he definitely, more than anybody else, needs to really show the form and it seemed at practice that he was going to be the man to beat that he had the pace but it just qualifying just never delivered it and in the race he just never really it just wasn't his day it can happen to anyone I think in Lewis's case when he has a bad day he has a bad day as most of us do I feel that he would like generally speaking after a bad weekend he comes back yes a much stronger a much stronger driver so in in terms of the Mercedes, I, I, I do feel that Lewis will bounce back um, in terms of Red Bull, unless there's another cha- a chaotic race or you know changeable weather conditions, it was no secret that Mercedes were miles ahead. As I said at the beginning of the episode, as of now, I'm getting flashbacks to 2014 to 2016 in terms of how dominant Mercedes are. Yeah, it could quite possibly be that way. Hopefully not, but we'll obviously have to wait and see. But they do look very formidable at the moment. Of course, I'm hoping to see what Max Verstappen can really do because, as we said, we were denied that opportunity. He felt himself that the pace of the Red Bull was good but just not on the level of Mercedes and that this alternate strategy might throw the cat amongst the pigeons and give him an opportunity of taking the race as he famously did last season on an alternate strategy after dropping down the order after a poor start. But um, we didn't get to see that. Hopefully, we will get to see something this weekend more suited and the Red Bull more reliable so Max can put in a good performance and he needs to it's a short championship this year we know that for definite we don't know if it's going to be 17 16 races or if it's going to be only eight we'll have to wait and see um Ferrari we already talked about them earlier in the episode some of these upgrades that they talked about in Hungary might go onto the car which might help I know it's been um fast-tracked if you like uh, given how poor they have been over the weekend in terms of raw pace, but we'll have to wait and see. Vettel will have to wait and see if he has a return to form and if Charles Leclerc can continue to perform in the level he did last weekend. And um, we should talk about Racing Point as well. Uh, what do we think they're going to do this weekend? They definitely look fast, but we thought McLaren weren't going to be as fast as them, but they should prove that way. And they, were the, they were the surprise team, and I remember... Um asking on a poll on Instagram about that and some people did suspect that McLaren would be a surprise package and it's um, it's just coming to prove that um, our listeners have a good knowledge of Formula 1. Well, I like to think that they do. That's why they listen to us. <laughs> but, um, Two shows. Yep, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, we love you guys. But, yeah, Racing Point, they had some reliability issues. Of course, Lance Stroll was massively down on power, hence why he wasn't able to compete where Sergio Perez was and of course they had the similar issues that Mercedes were trying to manage as well so perhaps it might be the same thing this weekend perhaps the Mercedes and Racing Point just don't have an answer for this track and we won't see their real real performance at least over a race distance until Hungary perhaps at the earliest but nonetheless it's good performance but Racing Point do we think they could get a podium this weekend Courtney? The possibility but um I feel that Max will be on the podium this weekend. So, in terms of raw pace, you'd, you'd be foolish not to think it would be Mercedes 1-2 and Max Verstappen in third place. 
I would pretty much agree with that one if I was honest. I was going to ask, but I know I agree with that one. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to wrap this episode up, guys. So uh, as we said before, let us know what you think is going to happen this weekend. Let us know what you thought of last weekend. Make sure to like, share and subscribe to the channel if you are watching us on YouTube. Of course, if you're listening to us on your favourite podcasting platform, make sure to follow, like the episode and obviously share the content as much as you can. It really does help us a lot. But um, yeah, no, I think that's all that's left to say. Of course, we're hoping to have the next video that we've got coming out that we advertised halfway through on YouTube some point this weekend, hopefully sooner rather than later. But uh, until then, guys, make sure you uh, tune into the race this weekend and uh, enjoy the action, really. I just can't believe that F1 is finally back and we're back in the... And didn't it deliver? Yeah, it certainly did. Hopefully another race like that would be very, very nice indeed. But uh, until then, guys, all the best and uh, we will see you in the next DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network.